Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. You're listening to Radio MD. She's a chiropractic physician, lecturer, author, entrepreneur, and talk show host. She's Dr. Suzanne Bennett. It's time now for Wellness for Life Radio. Here's Dr. Suzanne. Today on Wellness for Life, we have an amazing opportunity to speak to researcher and best-selling author Judith Finlayson. Now, we are going to do a deep dive into her new book, You Are What Your Grandparents Ate. Now, it's based on the 40 years of work of the late epidemiologist, Dr. David Barker, on the developmental origins of health and disease that can be traced back to your first 1,000 days of existence, from the moment you were conceived and pressed even beyond to the experiences of your parents and great-grandparents. Wow. Welcome to Wellness for Life, Judith. Thank you for having me, Suzanne. You bet. You bet. Can you share with us how you got interested in Dr. David Barker's work and, and truly what inspires you to write a book on it? Well, I was inter- somebody gave me a copy of his book, uh, Nutrition in the Womb, years ago, and I read it and was just really carried away by the ideas. I mean, they were groundbreaking. And uh, I got very interested in it. So I, I assumed, though, that I, I didn't know anything about the field of developmental origins of health and disease at that point. And I assumed that I had just been, you know, missing the boat and everybody else knew about it. So I started making a point of asking people, like my doctor, who is a highly informed woman, uh, very intelligent and so on, you know, about David Barker and how much she knew about him. And she had never heard of him, knew nothing about his work. And as I kind of did my ad hoc research among people I was meeting and talking to who I thought should know about this and didn't, um, I gradually moved into the realm where I thought, holy smokes, this is really important stuff and nobody knows about it. So maybe I better think about writing a book. Fantastic. Okay, so, I mean, let's talk about what exactly is the field of developmental origins of health and disease. Can you explain that? Well, it's, it, it's based really on the idea that what happens in the womb doesn't stay in the womb. So what Dr. Barker discovered, uh, if I go back and talk, he was doing this in the 1970s his original research, and he was finding that the highest incidence of heart disease were in the poorest parts of his country, which was Britain. Uh, but this, 
you may recall, really went against conventional wisdom because in those days, heart disease was very much thought to be a disease of affluence. It was linked with eating too much meat, high cholesterol, you know the story. Um, So this was really an odd, a jarring uh, bit of research at that point in time. And uh, he began to suspect, he was a highly intuitive, very brilliant man, um, from what everyone I've talked to and know who knew him tells me, he really began to suspect that it was something that really was happening in pregnancy. Because at, simultaneously he was also seeing that the high rates of stroke about 50 to 70 years later, could be linked with high rates of maternal mortality 70 years prior. And that led him to think this is really about something that's that's happening in pregnancy. It took him a long time to find the databases he needed to do that research, Uh, The first bunch of it was a a group of records that had been kept um, around the turn of the century in Britain uh, in a county called Hertfordshire. And by using those records and other records, notably the next set that he got is probably one you've heard of, which is related to the Dutch hunger winter, when the Germans cut off food into the northern part of Holland and the people starved, and that include pregnant pregnant women. So that provided a really concentrated area of research that he could look at the effects of poor nutrition on pregnancy in that group and in the Hertfordshire group. Uh, he, what he found with the first batch of research was that he could really link um, low birth weight, which is being born at uh, less than 5 pounds, 8 ounces, with a raft of chronic illnesses as an adult. And that includes obesity, uh, type, 2 and heart, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. And to come back to, I guess, your original question, what that showed are, are that was the beginnings of people beginning to realize that the first thousand days of development from the moment of conception are a very vulnerable time for a fetus. Uh, and if things, environmental impacts like poor nutrition, uh, happen during that period, it sets the stage for chronic illnesses later in life. Mm. So, um, you know, one of the things that we know now in modern times is about how important the B vitamin B, B9 folate is, mm-hmm. um, as well as B12, of course, but particular folate in the methylation and how it has an impact on heart has has an impact on the brain. Yes. So that totally makes sense uh, regarding, you know, the highest incidence of heart disease uh, later on and, and, of course, in the poorest section because they don't get enough of this super important um, 
orthomolecular nutrient, a folate. And now, of course, in pre-pregnancy pregnancy time now, we all know that's one vitamin that we all have to take during pregnancy, right, uh, for prenatal care. Yeah, yeah, folate is one. And, and so, so to come back to Dr. Barker, Dr. Barker was an epidemiologist. So his original research was looking at these large groups of people and drawing conclusions, epidemiological conclusions, from, those, from birth cohort information. Um, toward the end of the 20th century, another science was really beginning to uh, take hold, and that's the science of epigenetics. And you mentioned B vitamins, and one of the most famous studies on epigenetics, which really Dr. Barker's initial research identified what was happening. Epigenetics is the science that really pointed the way to how it was happening. And when you mentioned the B vitamins and folate, one of the very famous studies, uh, early epigenetic studies, was around uh, was, uh, the late 1990s, and that's the agouti mouse study. And that study, agouti mice were, were pet mice that were bred to be very, very beautiful. Uh, but unfortunately, in becoming very beautiful, they had been, uh, it turned out, they didn't know it at the time, but really... Uh, turning off a gene, and this made the mice very, very sick. So they were prone to either dying young or to have a raft of terrible illnesses and being very sickly for all of their lives. When the researchers gave these mice a collection of vitamins, uh, B vitamins, folate, B12, choline, there were one or two other things, not only did they cure the mice and give them good health again, that good health was passed on to their offspring for two generations, so their sons and daughters and their grandsons and daughters. So that was really the introduction to uh, the whole concept of epigenetic inheritance. What we're hearing here, of course, is this is so important for future generations. And that's one thing, knowing about it now, and I look, you know, Pat, I have a son who's 25 years old, and boy, if I would have changed things around during my pregnancy time, prenatal care, of course, and post, of course, um, because you're saying 1,000 days. That's a lot of days. It's up to about uh, two and a half, three, three, two and a half years old. Isn't that correct? For a child. That's the key, the key points of development. It begins from the moment of conception and really until the baby turns two. And that's because uh, the organs, uh, most of the organs are forming during pregnancy, but some of them are not fully formed until, say, about two, like the brain, the immune system, are still what they describe as very plastic. And uh, in those plastic states, environmental impacts like uh, poor nutrition, uh, stress, uh, or uh, toxic exposures have a much greater effect than they do later in life. Let's go ahead and talk about those toxic 
exposures. Um, I will share with you, a, a, you know, a personal story. My son was exposed to mercury, mercury in the womb, uh, because I had a mercury filling um, that is a silver filling in my mouth, which I didn't know was cracked, right? And it was definitely leaching in. So one of the things that we found when Cody was at a very young age, five months old, I'd say he had high, high levels of mercury. I'd like you, your intake and what you did with your research and what kind of toxins are you talking about that has impact on the first uh, two to two years of their life? Well, a lot of, I mean, every toxin, and it really, really depends on kind of the level of exposure, um, how long the exposure was, um, the intensity. Uh, but um, cancer is a particular disease that that uh, that we are seeing links between things like cigarette smoking and childhood cancer. Um, uh, too much alcohol. These some of these impacts can be passed on through reproductive cells, and that's one of the things that we that we we didn't really talk about in in the um, concept of nutrition uh, during pregnancy, because if you think about it, a your reproductive cells, a, a, a girl's reproductive cells are formed when she is still in her mother's womb. That's when, when a female fetus, a female gets her eggs, when you're still this, this little female uh, uh, in the womb. Uh, and um, a, male, a male doesn't, his sperm cells don't form until puberty. So... Um, at the same time, I'll tell you a story, about the same time that Dr. Barker started to do his work, an epidemiologist in Sweden named Lars Bergen decided to look at the little town that he had grown up in, uh, which was in northern Sweden, and it was characterized by years of feast and famine. You know, some years they had great crops and other years they had none. He went back and he looked and he found that in years that there were there was too much food and boys ate too much around the time of puberty, he could link that to their grandsons dying significantly younger than the norm. With females, the opposite was true. It was if there was a year of famine, their granddaughters were much more likely to die young. Now, this gets into the idea, the actual theory or the actual science of how, of how epigenetics work. These environmental impacts, like poor nutrition, like toxic exposures, leave what are called epigenetic modifications on the reproductive cells. So for a girl, that would happen while her mother was pregnant. For a boy, it would happen while his, his, father, his father's sperm was developing. So they can link, for instance, things, um, since you asked about toxins, uh, 
like cigarette smoking, young boys who started to smoke around the time of puberty set their grandsons up to have metabolic diseases. Uh, that Those impacts are etched on the cell like a kind of biological memory, and that biological memory is passed on through the offspring, through marks on cells that we call epigenetic modifications. What you're telling me, though, here is really super interesting because what you're saying is it's not just about our body, you know, that if you're, if, if, if you're going to be exposed to the, the um, chemicals, you're actually saying that it will change our genetics. It will be passed down two generations. That's what you're yes. saying, which is I am huge. saying that. Now, now I, I, let's be clear. It's, it's not your genes that you're, cha- that you're changing. Your genes are fixed. But right. your genes operate in a dynamic environment. Uh, so that means they express themselves in different ways depending on what is going on in your life. Um, scientists compare this to turning the volume on a radio up or down. Um, so it's, it's your genes, it's how they express themselves. They're, they're fixed. You're going to have the same genes, but it's how they express themselves that is influenced by the environment. Um, and, you know, then influences like toxic exposures, like poor nutrition, uh, really determine how your genes express themselves. Right, right. I mean, I, it just reminds me of one of the lectures that I listened to uh, from Dr. Jeffrey Bland and when he was speaking of how trauma, actual trauma, uh, from has it can be passed down. For instance, uh, two generations, three generations in the past, how my, let's say, my maternal grandparents, my, my paternal side, they have went through some form of major trauma, whether it has to do with a war or famine, et cetera, that it actually, the trauma itself has an effect on the way I, my body expresses, and it can affect my mental health. I remember so clearly him saying this. Uh, but in your case, it's, it's trauma is trauma, whether it's lack of food, nutrition, environmental trauma, it also can be emotional and psychological trauma. Yes, yes. Really, all of those things can have equal impacts. Um, we've studied poor nutrition more, uh, and we know more about it. Um, and in a way, I'm not saying it's more easily fixed, but, you know, what we're seeing... We looked at you know things like the Dutch the Dutch hunger winter and and all of the a lot of the birth cohort studies are based on on places where they have experienced real famine where women who were pregnant starved um, and so you know it's easy to think well we don't have to worry about that in North America because we have enough to eat but. In actual fact, we are seeing the long-term effects now of a phenomenon that's described as high-calorie malnutrition. People eat too much overly processed foods, and processed foods are a key component of the standard American diet, 
They are high in calories and low in nutrients. And if you go back and think about this hereditary thing, we are seeing that three generations of Americans have been raised on this diet and its multi-generational effects are becoming clear. We are witnessing runaway rates of chronic illness, of obesity, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. The word epidemic is often used to describe how rapidly these conditions are spreading. I can give you some statistics. I'm sure you kind of know the general idea. In 1960, one person in 100 had diabetes. Today, it's one in eight. And the experts are now predicting that by 2050, one in three will suffer from that condition if the trend continues. So, you know, we really have to think about this and we really have to break that cycle. Diabetes is the major precursor for heart disease. And heart disease, as you know, is the most expensive disease to treat. So just from an economic perspective, uh, this really isn't sustainable. Right. Uh, so what it sounds to me, you know, um, individuals who are who are getting ready to have a family or parents who have young children, what is it that we can do? Uh, we can change our diet. We've talked about that a little bit. What other lifestyles? We talked about uh, making sure that we're not exposed to toxicity, chemicals, toxins, environmental issues. Um, what else do you recommend for our listeners to do so that they can help for their future generations? Well, experts now recommend that both parents-to-be adapt a healthy lifestyle before conceiving, and that's for about three months. So really, I mean, it's hard to say you should avoid stress. I don't think that any of us actively <laughs> involve ourselves in stressful, in stressful situations. It, it kind of happens. But, you know, that is a good one. Try and, try and figure out how to manage it. Uh, certainly a healthy diet and certainly, um, you know, take a, just take a look at your, at your, your house and the, and the kinds of household products that you have and, and what's in them. And, and we now know there are all kinds of natural and, and, uh, healthy alternatives to a lot of those chemical cleaners and so on and so forth. So it's a good idea to try and, and eliminate as many of those as possible. Um, we know that in pregnancy, I mean, a fetus draws on the nutrients that the mother provides. But if we also know from studying areas like China and India where there have been multi-generations of poorly nourished people that if the kind of if malnutrition has gone on for a couple of generations as as it has now in in North America thanks to our diets of highly processed foods women's bodies don't have enough reserves uh to provide the nutrients for um uh, 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 to, to really properly nurture and develop a fetus. So um, we need to really work at, at integrating into the system 
uh, long-term plans for for caring better and providing better nutrients for uh, better nutrition for pregnant women. Mm. So there's a social thing that has to change as well as an individual one. Right, right. You definitely want to also know your family history. Isn't that correct? I mean, I would say that that would be really important to, you know, some people don't even know their, much about their family uh, grandparents and the great-grandparents. Yes, because, and, and knowing, now they are saying in terms of hardwired genes, there was a study that came out toward the end of last year that looked uh, at all of the gene home-wide association studies of disease and concluded that your genes really overall uh, were only implicated in about 5% of, of diseases. So it's not your genes, it's, it's, the, it's how your genes your, behave. And we also know that by making positive lifestyle changes, you can change gene expression. So we were talking about stress. Um, and it's hard to avoid, but you can learn how to manage it. And there are studies that show, for instance, that things like mindfulness meditation can have a very positive effect on gene expression, um, as can uh, getting up off your butt and getting involved in, uh, you know, regular exercise programs. And it's never too late to start because... Some of the studies have shown that the greatest impact uh, on positive elements of gene expression is among older people. So, you know, you you can really, by adapting positive lifestyle modifications, uh, change the way your genes are expressed and uh, address any proclivities that you may have inherited um, from your parents or grandparents. Mm, that's great. Thank you so much, Judith. Can you please tell us where we can find more about you and about your book, You Are What Your Grandparents Ate? Yes. Um, you, you, can, you can buy my book at Amazon. You can uh, get it at Barnes & Noble. Um, if you're interested in knowing more about me, um, visit my website, and that's judithfinlayson.com. Um, and I'm, I'd be delighted if you did that. Thank you. Gosh, I really appreciate all of your insight and the information about Dr. Um, Dr. David Bear was so interesting. And I'm going to do, excuse me, not Dr. Bear, Dr. Barker's, Barker. And I'm really going to go in and dig deeper into his work and see and get your book to, because you've already, already put everything together um, in, your, in your book. Thank you so much, Judith. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. Ah, great information. I love, you know, getting so much interesting info from researchers and uh, authors. So many things that I didn't even, I've never heard of this uh, Dr. Barker myself. And, but it, it's super interesting. And of course, something that I'm going to take a look at so that I can help my patients who are young and who are in that age of wanting to have children. These are important information that they can clearly change for the, the, their 
um, future generation, their babies, and what's going to happen even um, after that. Thank you so much. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so. We'd love to continue to do our very best here on Wellness for Life. If you need help in digging deeper with your health issues, I work with people globally through phone and Skype consultations, and my contact info is available on my website, drsuzanne.com. Until next time, go out there and live your best life today, full of energy, enthusiasm, and ultimate health and wellness. This is Dr. Suzanne sharing natural strategies on the Wellness for Life show right here on Radio MD. Stay well.